Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Manuel Feit, and once again, joined by Stefan Bianchowski. Stefan, how's it going? Yeah, I'm doing very, very well. Uh, you know, we're, the, the nights are fair drawn in. The Christmas is almost here. The winter break is almost here. Um, What, what else can we talk about? There's, there's nothing else to talk about except German football. There might be another variant out there. We might still be in a pandemic, but hey, I'm just going to ignore it. I'm just going to keep ignoring it. Uh, or else we'll start pulling our hair out because this is what we we're talking about before we started recording. Uh, but German football, that's, that's the only thing that's keeping us happy and keeping us sane at the moment. Am I right? Yeah, I know you're right. And like, honestly, I'm so tired of this pandemic. Um, having followed all the health measures that the government has thrown at me over the last, I guess, 20 months now, I'm just exhausted. And um, a lot of the news that came out today that things that Canada is planning to do, while, while also slowing down, uh, while also not providing us with boosters quickly, I'm just tired, man. Just let it Omicron run. That's my opinion. I'm just done. I can't do this much longer. Um, I'm sick and tired of empty stadiums and I'm sick and tired of restrictions. So good luck if everyone else, you know, you want to yeah. like be able to avoid risks, do it. I'm done. But anyhow, think, um, yeah, shoot. You know, do you know, I think actually this kind of winter break is probably coming at right a good time because I was watching... Yeah. Wolfsburg versus Cologne the other day when there was maybe like in fact was it that no what no it wasn't that game actually it was a Stuttgart versus Bayern game there was maybe like 200 fans in the stadium yeah, yeah it's a couple of hundred fans Stuttgart look like they haven't bothered looking at their pitch in about two months to try and fix it uh, the players look tired they're slipping on the mud it was horrible weather and I was like do you know what It's, it's almost time just to shut this all down for a couple of weeks, isn't it? And then everyone can put their feet up. They can go yeah. play their Xbox for four weeks, pretend there's nothing going on outside. <laughs> and then hopefully when we come back, everything will be absolutely fine. Yeah, and no, you know what? I, that's actually entirely my thought process. The Bundesliga is probably extremely lucky that it has a winter break because you look at what's going on in the UK, right? Mm. Um, and the prospect of stadiums probably being partially closed with this new variant. Um, again, I think just that rip, but whatever. That's just my opinion. But, you know, like they're going to probably play a lot of those games with restrictions. And if the Bundesliga is just going to say, yeah, you know what? We'll just think our peak is already done because the numbers are dropping. And maybe by the end of January, we're going to be able to return and mm -hmm. things are going to be looking much better than a large percentage of the population is boosted. And yeah, you know, so, you know, there is, there is I feel like there is an, it seems like really dark, but it's always the darkest before dawn, isn't it? And I'm, I'm kind of at that point right now where I'm thinking, At some point, this is going to get better. And mm. I don't think we're actually as far away as some people think. But, you know, when it comes to the Bundesliga and that match, I think that match in particular 
hit it home to me. If you want to even start with that, you know, because we had an English Woche, which is why we're recording late. So if you missed out on the episode that usually comes out on Monday, we decided because of the, the English Woche, we're going to record late. And then also record a little later next week because like we're probably going to do an end of the Hinrunde kind of review mm. thing. So, but like that match in particular hit it home for me, Stefan, the 750 people in the stand. And another reason why it hit home, Bayern Munich, of course, winning that game 5-0, uh, maybe in the end of the day, a couple goals too many, but it's so very difficult for a team like Stuttgart, where they have an incredible fan base at a full capacity stadium, to really put up a resistance against a team like Bayern Munich. These ghost games are not great for for teams that, you know, want to kind of upset the apple cart, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I know Stuttgart have had their issues this season. They've had a lot of injuries. They've had had their own COVID outbreaks, actually, as well, which have caused Mm -hmm. issue. Um, You know, and look, they're missing Kaladzic, which I honestly think last season he was one of the best strikers in German football. I I actually tipped him as a potential Erling Haaland replacement at Dortmund in uh, in the future one day. Uh, so hopefully he does bounce back and he gets back to his best. Sosa was missing as well. So, you know, Stuttgart are missing a lot of really decent players, but uh, this game just looked like... They, they, just, they just looked like a team they were begging for the winter break. Mm. Um I cannot stress enough how frustrating it was to watch this game on that football pitch. Um, you know, there was mud, uh, the, the grass wasn't holding, it looked like it had been flooded. I actually don't know if this was a story. I don't know if, if this is a news story, you know, in, in, in Stuttgart for the game. I didn't I didn't read anything about it, or this is just something that the club have had to deal with in recent weeks. I haven't actually sat down and watched the Stuttgart game for a couple of weeks, but or at least a, a home game. Um, but... They, the, the Stuttgart players looked as baffled by it as the Bayern players. It's not as if you know it was yeah. some. It's not as if um, they were playing this kind of industrious, rudimentary style of football that meant that they could bypass the the cowpats and the the divots in the pitch. I mean, you know, at one point, one of the Stuttgart defenders somehow managed to break through the Bayern line, and he had Alfonso Davies chasing him down. Fair enough, but. He then just slipped on the ball, and you're like, "What's going on here?" <laughs> so I slipped yeah. in the mud, rather. So I don't know. Stuttgart just looked to me. Um, they had some decent runs of play. Uh, I think they had some decent chances, which they really messed up. But at least three of those five Bayern goals came from a Stuttgart defender just misplacing a pass, going straight to a Bayern player, and then five or six late- seconds later, it's a four-on-two situation of Bayern players, and they just tap the ball into the back of the net. It was a really easy game for Bayern on a terrible pitch in an empty stadium um, and you know I don't like to really beat this bush too much but it was a horrendous um, advert for the for the Bundesliga in my opinion yeah I thought so too it, it had all the worst things come together um, and it's, it's a good example of why this league shuts down over the winter because you mentioned the pitch it's it's very hard in Germany you know it's you know the, the winter there is difficult um, in so many ways and clubs kind of wait until the new year to put in a new field so you, you get fields like this one and it was horrendous it was just absolutely disgusting which wouldn't probably have mattered if there had been 50,000 people in the stadium but it was a terrible mud it looked like a village game rather than anything else because of the 750 people on the stand and yeah I think for Bayern you know honestly they're playing again on Friday against Wolfsburg and um I think they're probably very excited for the winter break. SR Stuttgart, as 
probably every club in in this league. But it's interesting, you know, that Wolfsburg because like that was another game that I watched. Uh, was Wolfsburg against was Wolfsburg against Köln, and Wolfsburg of course have undergone a coaching change and. This is something that I thought we should maybe mention a little bit because that, that game, um, Kofelk has come in right to kind of resurrect Wolfsburg a little bit, but hasn't really worked. And of course, uh, they were also impacted by bringing in Van Bommel ahead of the season to replace Glasner, who's of course gone to Frankfurt. And Glasner is at the moment probably the only coach of the bunch of changes that have been going on over the summer that actually worked out. You look at Frankfurt now, they are just three points behind the Champions League spot, right? Uh-huh. And Wolfsburg, one of those clubs where you say, you kind of downgrade it. Would you agree? Yeah. And like I don't actually think Kofeld is the answer there either. I mean, it's like, that was one of the big questions when he did come in. It's like, does Kofeld have a plan B? Right now, he yeah. doesn't even have a plan A. Yeah, definitely. You know, I watched this game as well, and it was another really frustrating performance from the home side because, you know, and I've, I've, I've probably said this a few times in the podcast this season that on their day, Wolfsburg have one of the best teams in German football, in my opinion, man yeah. for man. They have talent there. Um, <clears throat> and not only that, they've managed to have a really impressive one in, in, in oh, I can't say his name, Nemcha. Uh, mm. I can't say his name after a word ending in N. Uh, Damn my Scottish dialect. Um, I think it's yeah, Nemka. Yeah. So, you know, you play him up front with Veghorst, you're like, you know, this is a really fun, dynamic team where they've got these two big guys up front and they're not just slow target men. Both of them can run, both of them can hold the ball up, they can play other players in, they can dribble with it. You know, this Wolfsburg team have a huge amount of firepower there, um, but then it just starts kind of falling apart. Cologne, to their credit, never gave up. Um, you know, I think they actually finished XG was 4.11 to Wolfsburg's 2.23, so they certainly had their chances, but that's simply because Wolfsburg just never had any concept of shutting the game down. Um, mm. And I think that was clear from the fact that, you know, Clona uh, obviously managed to pick up their final goal. Uh, their, they managed to pick up their second goal, what, 15 minutes before the end, and then Modesto obviously does what he does best a couple of minutes before full time. And, you know, you're absolutely right. This is, well, they're a club, I think, Wolfsburg, who actually have done a decent job on the pitch with the players that they've kept, the players that they've brought in, the squad that they've built. But, they keep kind of overlooking that that managerial post, and it's something. Maybe it's not too far off what I was saying about RB Leipzig last week when we we're talking about potential replacements to Jesse Marsh and saying, you know, Bundesliga clubs don't always have to just shop in the same, you know, aisle. They don't always yeah. have to just go for another Bundesliga coach. Um, and I think Wolfsburg is a good example of that. I know they don't have the budget they used to have back in the day when they had Kevin De Bruyne and Julian Draxler. I was just going to say the budget is still pretty much the same as Atletico Madrid's. Yeah, well, there we go then. I mean, it's in, and that just goes to show, doesn't it? It's, it's, it's the equivalent of Atletico Madrid losing Diego Simeone, or well, maybe not. I'm not suggesting that Van Bommel or Glasner are that. Well, maybe Glasner's, you know, for what he did, he's not, I know he's not Simeone, but he's obviously a very good manager. Um, but it's the equivalent of Atletico Madrid then going and picking up a young head coach who was at a team that got relegated from the, from the Liga. You know, it just it, 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 some of the managerial choices that have been made in the Bundesliga this season wouldn't make sense in other countries. I actually love that point that you just brought up because my I would actually almost say that 
Wolfsburg lack a Diego Simeone. Mm. They need they need to bring someone in. Felix Margot was that, right? He's, he's the guy that won. <laughs> no, but it's true. I mean, he did win mm. um, a German championship with this club. And then they lost him. And they kind of been really looking for that identity ever since. I mean, it's been 10 years, but, you know, like they really never managed to... There's There's been seasons where it comes through, you know, when Van Bruyne was there and uh, De Bruyne was there, for example. Um, you saw it a little bit with that squad. Um, mm. But never really been someone there head coach slash manager who just absolutely puts a stamp on this club mm. and it's not the players or the quality of the players but I think it's an identity that's lacking that they just can't really seem to establish and maybe I don't know I mean this is this is I'm banging on this drum again because I, I actually I feel it's very very true the Bundesliga and as you said they always shop in the same aisle it's like maybe they need to go over one and um, go to the exotic section you know um, and find someone there because it's boring and it's Mm. not leading to solutions because all these coaches essentially come from the same school of thought and right now the problem is all the best German coaches are abroad or they're at Bayern Munich or at the national team and that's a huge issue so the way to fix the whole coaching problems in the league is, and I think Wolfsburg is a great example, and I think I want to talk about Leipzig right next after this, is find someone who can give you a true identity and that someone doesn't need to be German. Just mm. find, like, and Jose doesn't need to be Austrian or Swiss or um, a German-speaking French guy, you know, just bring someone <laughs> in who is maybe a bit different. Like, yes, Simeone is Spanish-speaking, but he's from Argentina. No. Mm. And just please find someone who gives you an edge and is a little bit different. And, you know, I like this who, unfortunately, it was just a rumor, probably made up. But remember when Gladbach almost went for Javi Alonso? Mm. And that would have been such an interesting out-of-the-box appointment. And I would have loved to see it. Someone has to have the guts to do something like that, I feel. Yeah, right. Definitely. Yeah, and like we have to be kind of we have to kind of be realistic here. I mean, we are fans of the Bundesliga, but we also have to be realistic. And I remember uh, at work, someone asked me when Manchester United were looking for a new manager, and they said, "Who would you recommend from the Bundesliga?" And I said, "Well, apart, apart from Nagelsmann, I'm not sure I would recommend anyone." Which is weird because Mm-mm. you know, technically, the Dortmund coach should always be a, a coach that should come up in conversations about the biggest clubs in England when they're looking for a new manager. Now, obviously, Man United did end up hiring a German coach via Russia. But, Mm. you know, the the truth of the matter is that the Bundesliga may have this reputation for being a, a league that creates fantastic young managers, but none of the current crop really... Um, they're not, they're not proving it just now. Um, and if the Bundesliga wants to keep kind of competing at the top level, I mean, this this is the issue. If, if you want to even kind of broaden this out to maybe the Champions League situation for a moment, um, no. we've got one German team in the last 16, and you can Despite maybe... Despite them all being pretty financially rich. Yes, exactly, right. So this, it's not even as if um, a Hoffenheim or a Freiburg managed to slip in there and you could say, look, these clubs aren't very big, they don't have the financial muscle... 
No. It was just great that they had a shot at the, the group stage. We're talking about three, four, five of the biggest clubs in Germany financially. And it's not the finances that means that they've struggled, um, which is always the thing that comes up first. It's not the TV deal in the Bundesliga no. that's caused it. It's the not Bundesliga even the fact the second largest TV deal in Europe. And it's not even the case that each club have lost huge players. Now, I know Dortmund lost Sancho, and I know Leipzig lost Sabitza and Konate and Upamecano, but I don't even think Dortmund or Leipzig fans are really going to be sitting arguing that that's why they didn't. The reason that Dortmund, Leipzig and Wolfsburg got knocked out of the Champions League is because they had to replace their head coach in the summer, and they all chose head coaches that don't have experience of competing at those levels. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, obviously Van Bommel's now gone mm. uh, and Jesse Marsh is now gone. I'm not saying Marco Rosa can't become a good coach at Dortmund, but we're talking about three of Germany's largest clubs uh, of the maybe of, within like the five or six in terms of finances. Each of those ones decided to take a risk by going within the Bundesliga. I know Wolfsburg went for Van Bommel, but he was obviously ex-Bayern. He's, he's within yeah. the German football bubble to an extent. Um, and each of them failed... Uh, in one way or another. Now, Marco Rosa is hanging on by the skin of his teeth, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, he's, he got a good result tonight against Goethe Firth, which we can talk about. But I did put this to my Twitter followers. You know, I said, if they don't beat Goethe Firth emphatically on Wednesday night, is he in trouble? And quite a lot, I think, end up 56% said yes. And that, that maybe, you know, maybe, maybe my Twitter followers are all Bayern Munich and Schalke fans, but... <laughs> I think there's a genuine feeling among Dortmund fans that he's he's got a huge way to go before they're happy with this appointment, and certainly Leipzig and Wolfsburg fans don't feel that way too. So this is this the, these are the very real world immediate impact of these clubs continuing to shop within German football instead of using their imagination and getting proven coaches from elsewhere. Well, you look at Wolfsburg right now, and I mean they're on twenty points, um, even with Bochum. You know, um, the team that did take two points of Borussia Dortmund on the weekend and opening up that gap on the top of the table to six points, um, something that we need to talk about in a moment. But, you know, um, Bochum of the, and I saw them get smashed by Bayern 7 0 um, when I was at the, at the Allianz Arena, um, have kind of found a groove in this league are much better than Kreuterfurt, who are mm. sitting at the bottom of the table with 49 goals conceded and just four points out of 16 games. Um, I want to talk about that in a moment because this is an important point as well. But I I do think that we had this huge change up of coaches, right? Hütter going to Gladbach because he thought that would be better than, than Frankfurt, where he was. Um even though the club wasn't really set up for him. And you look at how that appointment went, Gladbach are struggling with 18 points. And I think Hütter, you made an interesting point about saying that maybe Gladbach can't replace him because of COVID. Um, You know, they are a club that's financially very dependent on a full stadium. So you might have a very good point there. (laughs) They might be married to him um, because (laughs) the separation might be too costly. Um, It's like an oligarch fearing that his wife takes half his money, right? Um, So it's similar to that, but, you know, you look at Frankfurt and you look at Glasner and he's pretty much the only coach that's worked out. And Frankfurt has been a club that's always been kind of knocking close on the Champions League door for years now and probably would have gotten the Champions League spot if Hütter had stayed with Frankfurt, not announced that he was leaving for Gladbach. Mm. That's on him. 
And he might end being ending up the guy who's out of a job seeing Frankfurt eventually make the Champions League because they're just three points behind Glasner has worked out so far. But he's the only one. Mm. You know, there's Hütter could be gone. Marsh is probably gone. Well, is gone, sorry. Um, Van Bommel, who replaced Glasner at Wolfsburg, gone. Um, all these coaching changes not exactly attractive and you know maybe Wolfsburg did try to get um, the Simeone by hiring Van Bommel which was a little bit of a left field appointment but not a really well thought through appointment in some ways which brings us back to you know them shopping within the Bundesliga and maybe seeing the record that he had with PSV should have should have probably been a warning warning for them mm. it's 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 frustrating to see that you know, the, the the lack of innovation that this league is currently showing. And Rose is maybe the big question mark for me because the gap is six points now, right? Um, and when you're realistic that the championship is done, right? Uh, it could maybe shrink again to three. But when you look at Dortmund's results, you're actually surprised kind of that it's just six points you know, they have 34, point, 34 points at this stage of the season that they are six points ahead of Leverkusen with the Leverkusen have played much more attractive football than, than Dortmund have, you know, and when you look at mm. where the two clubs are now, where both in the Europa League, you're probably more likely to think that Leverkusen will win that competition than Dortmund, yet Dortmund in the league have been frustratingly consistent by playing poor football yet getting results and so you wonder, and you put it, as you said, you put it to your followers, Rosef almost falls into a category of coaches that haven't worked out in some ways, right? Or what do you think? No, absolutely. I think he still has a long way to go. Um, I really thought the Champions League um, campaign um, was a real black mark on his record for this, for, for this season. Not only because, obviously... Dortmund should be doing better, but them not getting out of the group will have financial implications on the club down the line. Yeah. Um, not only that, but sporting implications as well. What does someone like Erling Haaland think if he's at a club that can't even get out of the group stages, for example? And he's not the only one, obviously, he has huge ambitions. Um, but I think after that, I think Rosa had some sort of goodwill because they were still doing quite well in the Bundesliga. They were, you know, had the Der Klasker coming up. And then over the last two or three weeks, we've seen things really begin to shake. I think that Bochum draw really stung. Um, not only because it was two points dropped, but the manner in which it happened. Um, uh, you know, I'm just I'm just not a fan of VAR in any sense of the imagination. Uh, I thought the call in the Bochum game was pretty poor, just like um, I thought the Bayern game as well, technically possibly correct, but just the, and, it's, and you know, it wasn't just it wasn't just the fact that it was the, the call itself, whether it was right or wrong, it was the fact that the goal came um, that had been ruled out, it came when Dortmund were absolutely battering Bochum and all of a sudden they score a goal, they're back in the game and rather than just the referee seen immediately is ruled out and then you know, Dortmund get back home after they've still got that momentum. The players were standing around for about five minutes 
referee decides to have to go have a look. And then by the time the goal's rolled out, the entire energy from the match has been completely mm. zapped. Bochum could have hoped for better. It's like, no, anyway, look, I'm not going to turn this into the baby VR, so it doesn't matter. Um, but in terms of, I think it just felt that result was really, ha- uh, really quite bitter. And that's why I said, look, Dortmund, there are only two or three really bad results away here from Rose's head being on the chopping board. Um, maybe Dortmund have plans to kind of stick by him no matter what. Um, you know, frustratingly for Dortmund fans, it does seem as though the board, the chairman, etc., they have more patience with this team than I think fans do at times in terms of expectations. Um, but I think possibly, you know, how this Bundesliga campaign runs out is probably going to end up defining Rose's, whether he keeps the job... Obviously, that's always the case with any Dortmund player, manager. But what I mean by that is, right now they're six points off Bayern. If that starts to creep, if they start to start leaking points, and by the end of the, by the time we get to the winter break, it's eight or nine. Um, I think there's going to be a huge amount of pressure on them over the winter break to make sure they get things sorted. Well, thankfully for Dortmund, they're playing Berlin next, so I, th- I assume the gap is still going to be six. Um, Depends which Berlin. Yeah, depends which Berlin. Right, Hertha Berlin. Um, which <laughs> oh, that's, okay. Berlin. That, that's okay then. <laughs> which Hertha Berlin as well. But I mean, you're fair point. Um, but, you know, we also just assume that Bayern will batter Wolfsburg. And I, <laughs> they might, although it's an empty Allianz Arena. Um, Joy um, had credentials for that game, believe it or not, Stefan. I was supposed to be there, but obviously yeah. travel restrictions have said have meant I couldn't go. It's um yeah, it's 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 interesting. I think it's probably gonna be six points anyways, but is that gonna be good enough? And I mean we could also be sitting here right now and say in some ways, well Dortmund could be first. You know, a couple yeah. of the uh, decisions gone the other way. Um there was also I, another, there was also another one in tonight's game against Goethe Firth as well, which yeah. again Again, technically correct, marginal, you know, and it's just, anyway. And anyway. I, I sat there and thought, oh boy, they're going to draw points here now. Yeah. And that happened. Um, they didn't because um, they did get a penalty soon after on a decision that in the Bayern game against Bayern, Davies, same situation kind of, they didn't get uh-huh. it. But um, yeah. I guess VR works differently in the Klassiker than in the other Bundesliga games. <laughs> um, and that, that's not me. Like, I'm not trying to be a bias here. It's I think at this stage, it's obvious that that's how it is. It's just interesting. And, then, you know, VR could have gone different in a couple of games. And Topman might be first. And we will still be sitting here and say, well, but the football isn't great and all that. And that's all correct. Uh. And it's one of those interesting things where more than one thing can be right. Um, And like maybe he will put a stamp on this team over the winter break. And maybe, you know, with Hummels getting a proper break over the winter, the defense will get better. Um, There is talk that um, obviously Dennis Zakaria is supposed to join Dortmund. Schlotterbeck is a target um, likely to sign, right? And that's two players that they need, Uh. obviously. Uh, they really need them. They need someone to give them some stability and they need a healthy Mats Hummels. Um, mm. And I think maybe by some miracle, Bayern drop points against Wolfsburg and Dortmund beat Hertha and it's just three points. And we will be sitting here and say, well, it's not been great what Dortmund have been playing, but for some reason, they're still in this title race. Um, <laughs> you know, like that's that's all correct. All these things are true. They're, yeah. they're all 
true. But the the other the other truth is also that they deserve to lose that Bayern game. Um, yeah. The other truth is also that they when they played Ajax they got absolutely destroyed, mm-hmm. right? Um, they can't defend to save their lives. Um, all these things are also true against Fürth today. What did he say? Fürth had sixty four percent possession. I was shocked when I saw that number. I watched the game and I was shocked, but I feel like that number must be true. Yeah. And they play a team that is not called Fürth. They lose that game. Yeah. That's the truth. And, you know, it, it's really interesting what's going to happen at Dortmund between now and, as you say, the return of the of the of the Bundesliga in January. Because, yeah. you know, if I was a hopeful Dortmund fan, I'd be looking at that winter break, thinking, look, they have to longing, get a def- longing. Yeah. <laughs> they have to get a defense sorted out. And I do wonder if this may be the first opportunity for Marco Rosa and his coaching staff to actually do that. Because if you think back. Any any head coach who comes into a club has to spend like players can you know it's probably much easier. It's going to sound maybe counterproductive. It's maybe much easier to score goals than it is to defend against them because you know you can have individual players like a Haaland or a Julian Brandt, Marco Royce, however else, who can create something from nothing. But to create defensive structures that keep these kind of players out, you have to have a team that are all singing in the same hymn sheet. They all they all learn on the same training methods. And you look at a Dortmund team and you've got Mats Hummels who was rushed back after the Euros, who's probably didn't have much of a preseason to begin with. We spoke about you know, not only is he maybe not fit or he hasn't been um, been afforded an opportunity to regain his fitness, but probably also hasn't had an opportunity for Marco Rosa to actually sit down with those defenders and actually plan a system um, to actually defend better. So the winter break offers that uh, as well as the opportunity yeah. to hopefully bring in some defenders from a Dortmund point of view. So um, that's that's that that might offer some, some uh, hope for Dortmund fans in the second half of the season. And that's what I think. I think that is will Rose if the gap is just let's say six or even just three points, the second half of the season will give them a huge opportunity that they cannot squander. Um mm. and they it might be just three. I mean Bayern will have to play with Musiala and Rose and uh, sorry, Rocker in midfield again because everyone else is out. And Kimmich won't be back till we don't know. <laughs> Pretty serious. I mean, that situation, and I want to quickly touch on that um, to maybe transition to some Bayern stuff before we talk about some transfers and, and the strength of the league overall, I think. It's quite... The interviews that we saw with Joshua Kimmich, and I want to make a really important point here. Um I thought it was really telling what he said in ZTF and the way he communicated it and the way he apologized. And we make mistakes, everyone does. And I think it's important now that we move on from that, right? Um, he's obviously getting his shot and um, he could have avoided the situation by getting his vaccine in the first place. That's that's fact. You know, he's missing lots of playing time and has jeopardized his career because he didn't get the vaccine. Fact, full on. If you don't believe that, then um, you should read up on your science. These are facts. And at the same time, I thought it was very mature of him to actually come out and do an interview on public television and said, I made a mistake. And in retrospect, I should have gotten the vaccine. And I think we need to acknowledge that, first of all. And that's very important to acknowledge. And it shows a level of maturity that is, I think, 
important and he will have to do some regaining of the public trust, um, rightfully so. Um, but Bayern Munich right now, and for them, I mean, this winter break is probably just as welcome to, to any other club, right? Because of what's going on, seem vulnerable. And um, they're probably thankful that the Champions League thing got redrawn, right? Have fun. I mean, we had to draw the Champions League twice and Atletico Madrid, I think. I don't think they're ready for Atletico Madrid in February. Salzburg is probably the opponent that they're hoping for because it means almost no travel whatsoever. Um, and if everything goes well, I'm actually going to be at that game. So fingers crossed. Um, Trudeau, please let me out of this country. I'd be, I'd be grateful. Um, <laughs> and they're probably very happy with how things have gone and in that case and that the, the winter break is just around the corner because they're licking wounds themselves, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the really the thing I found really interesting going into a Stuttgart game was the fact that you had Mark Roca and uh, Jamal Musiala as the two central midfielders, which is just nuts if you actually think about it. Mark Roca, central midfielder who by all means has plenty of goodwill at Bayern Munich, but is nowhere near the standard required of them. Um, and it's almost condescending the way that the, co- the, the players and coaching staff speak about him. Julian Nagelsmann said after the game that he... He, he praised Broca for his performance against Stuttgart and he's not a head coach. He often individually praises players in front of his team that Roca deserves. I'm like, oh, come on, get over. Give us a break. Like, he's, he's a squad player who's, who, you know, probably should have never joined Bayern. He's going to go back to Spain. He'll probably be a great player there. But he's a backup of a backup of a backup. And Jamal Musiala is a number 10 at best, not a number six or number eight. So, you know, it just compounded Stuttgart's terrible performance that those two were able to sit in midfield so comfortably. Um, so, but yeah, it, it is it is an issue. And I think the, the, the funny, interesting thing for Bayern is that I don't, obviously, we very rarely see German clubs spend big money in January, but I do think Bayern are really likely to keep things as tight as they possibly can. I don't expect them to go out and spend big money on signings uh, by any means. So, yeah, I'd be interested to see how they do it. I mean, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, the, thing, the, the interesting thing about Bayern is even though they have had a successful start to the season, uh, they've had a successful transition under Nagelsmann, um, and they've had this remarkable 100% record in the Champions League, they have slipped up on occasion uh, in in, in, in the Bundesliga this season uh, and the Pokal mm. as well, Gladbach. Pokal. Yeah, I lost five exa- 0 in the Pokal. Exactly. Yeah, I, against Gladbach. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and by the way, guess guess who their first game back is against in the, the second half of the season is Gladbach. Maybe against Gladbach with a new coach. Um, yeah, possibly. Yeah, one hundred percent right. I mean, this this like, in the Champions League, it's been easy. It usually is easier for them in the Champions League. And this is to all those who call this league a farmers league um they should take a look at their own clubs in their respective leagues around uh, wherever they watch whatever they're watching because no matter who comes to munich they're getting smashed and that includes pretty much the top four in the premier league as well so they do usually do better in the champions league than they do in the bundesliga and the record the record shows that i mean this is again a fact <laughs> you know the champions league record is better than the bundesliga record um which is scary but yeah, I don't think they're going to do much in the winter, to be honest with you. Um, you know, they had some interest in Schlotterbeck as well. Uh, I, uh. I think their name, that name just gets thrown around whenever, you know, the, the two clubs, obviously. And there's this, there's this whole 
thing about Bayern buying the best players in the Bundesliga. It's like, I give you news, Dortmund does exactly the same thing. Um, in fact, Dortmund do it even more often than Bayern do. Bayern at least shop abroad every once in a while, right? Whereas Dortmund literally picks them all up from the Bundesliga. Um, and in Salzburg, everyone shops in Salzburg, I guess. So, <laughs> but... Yeah, I don't think Bayern will do much. I think they, what they what you're going to see maybe with Bayern and um, is the they're going to bring in some talented players. I know that um, the Bayern Bayern was just in Dallas to look at the okay. academy there, and they have a corporation, right? So that's oh. interesting. Um, that's I spoke to a source yesterday about that, and um, yeah curious to see what what that means um i think that's for justin jay what they'll probably want to bring back so something like that you know where they like say we want to bring in some players uh-huh. for the future or like do a transfer that they wanted to do in the summer and the player becomes available now and that's what they're going to do but i don't expect much and then you know it's, it's kind of true also for borussia dortmund um there was a really interesting report today in the süddeutsche zeitung and we talked about that today before the show stefan is that Mino Raiola has been shopping Erling Haaland aggressively in Europe. And when you see the quotes that have been circulating in newspapers, you, you're pretty sure he's gone. You know, likely to Real Madrid. That's where he mm. wants to go. But there's an interesting report in the Süddeutsche Zeitung today that no one can afford Erling Haaland at the moment. And even that exit clause that everyone is talking about is quite flexible. Um you know, it's somewhere between 70 and 90 million euros, I guess, depending on who asks. <laughs> and he's also looking between 50 and 60 million euros in salary a year for whoever signs him next. And Dortmund, and this is, again, the Süddeutsche Zeitung report, are planning with both Adeyemi and Haaland next season. Hmm. I, so Adeyemi, even though in public uh, nothing is done, blah, blah, blah. We have to remember it's not January 1st yet, right? So no one is going to say anything. And Salzburg and Dortmund are still 5 million euros apart, which we all know that's going to be easily bridged. But that's interesting, isn't it? Like the whole, the Haaland thing. Like I still feel that a transfer is likely, but it doesn't seem to be quite a shoe in than it was a few months ago. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the really interesting thing for me is that if you kind of follow the way this transfer saga has been going, the the talk, and what I mean by it is, I mean, the very literal quotes from the people involved in it rather than newspaper reports or headlines or what people, what journalists are saying on Twitter, um, the talk from Vatska, uh, from Zork, from Raiola, um, has softened over the last two or three months. Um, you know, mm. the Sedoja um, post, um, or, or rather article, is interesting, our story is, is, is interesting because it kind of follows on from the back of that huge Sport Ainz interview that Raiola gave. And mm-hmm. what I took from that was, you know, Raiola was asked all the normal questions, he gave all the normal answers, but... If you kind of read between the lines, the thing that stood out to me, the impression I got from it was that he was being very complimentary of Borussia Dortmund whenever he could. Um, he made no real efforts to, you know, because as it comes to these interviews, he's asked, you know, is, is, is Haaland going to leave? Who wants to sign Haaland, etc. Very non-committal any of these things. And he, he, he could have quite easily, and as he has done in the past with, for example, players like Paul Pogba at Manchester United, he could quite easily come out and say, 
my player is intending to leave and there's nothing the club can do about it. Um, and it was the complete opposite with Haaland at Dortmund. Now, that may be because Haaland has genuinely enjoyed himself at Dortmund and it may also be because Raiola has a number of clients and a number of clients will come and go from Dortmund after Haaland does eventually leave. So he has to maintain a proper commercial and professional relationship with Borussia Dortmund. Um so I think there is a genuine kind of relationship there that works. I think there's a lot of respect on both sides. And if you kind of do look at the kind of economics of, of, of the of the world of football right now, it, it would make sense that no one can actually afford Haaland right now. I think a lot of clubs thought the pandemic would be behind us by this point. They thought we would still have full stadiums. And yes, sure, we had them for a while. Yeah. But, you know, transfer budgets are going to be slashed next summer if, you know, this, this wave is as bad as some fear or it goes on for as long as it does in terms of empty stadiums and at the end of the day it, it does Haaland no harm staying at Borussia Dortmund okay sure the clause burns out and the, the, you know Manchester City or whoever else have to pay a proper fee for him next year not proper fee whatever Dortmund they might have to anyways exactly so, because we don't know what this clause looks like like it's yeah. not a strict like it's, the, it's not a Straightforward clauses. Um, I should I should credit it Freddie Rackenhaus reports for the Süddeutsche Zeitung, and this is this is this is a pretty serious paper. You know, like they don't report something like that because they're out for clicks. That's not their model. In fact, I think it's behind a paywall, um, which makes this interesting. Freddie Rackenhaus and the Süddeutsche are a newspaper that if they report something, there is truth to it. Um. That's interesting. I mean, all these things that you said are interesting. And of course, it could mean all sorts of things. And we're reading between the lines and all that. But, you know, aside, Manchester City aside, who have all this oil money, no one really can just drop that sort of money at the moment. And I don't know if City even would even do it. Hmm. I mean, that's an, a completely different question or conversation. Real Madrid, of course, have the dream to have both Haaland and Mbappe next year. And they might very well do it um, because they're crazy and they don't care about money and at the end of the day the Spanish state just bails bails them out one way or another right Um, the the, the interesting thing with Haaland and even if we do want to consider his options this summer is that the clubs that can afford to sign him are probably the clubs that he doesn't want to go to I this is just my personal opinion, but I can't imagine Erling Haaland wanting to move to PSG as the Kylian Mbappe replacement because he's just following in Mbappe's footsteps and a player that he probably hopes to rival for the rest of his career. So he's not going to be able to do that if he's at PSG and Mbappe has moved on to Real Madrid. Uh, and the other club, as you mentioned, is Manchester City. Now, Manchester City have all the money in the world. They have a fantastic head coach. They have countless league titles in England um, and they got to the Champions League final this season. However, this this isn't a flippant remark. They are still based in England. And, um, you know, it was quite notorious, it was quite famous that even at the height of Sir Alex Ferguson's uh, power at Manchester United, he would often remark that Manchester United may have more money than Barcelona, but they could never convince Ronaldinho to leave Barcelona to move to Manchester. And it is a problem that Manchester City still have to contend with. They may have some some of the best players in the world, but they do not have the best players in the world. They have to build around a transfer system where the top, top, top 2 3% of players in the world um, still find it very hard to make the move to England. Um, or Manchester in particular because of the weather and things like that. It sounds silly because 
we all consume football through the concept of football manager and FIFA, but it's it's real world and it's people's real lives. And more often than not, the yeah. very best players in the world would rather play for Barcelona or Real Madrid because they're in Barcelona and Real Madrid. Um, and that's well, I think Italy a huge before right. Italy yeah. was always a big one. Or um, Munich, players. you know. So or Munich, yeah. Um, so and that's and I think that's a genuine thing that a lot of people over overlook with Haaland. Yeah, he could move to Chelsea or he could move to ha- he could move to Manchester, but um, he probably doesn't want to. There was, of course, a report in Sport Bill today that Bayern Munich are preparing a bit to um, <laughs> bring in Erling Haaland to replace Lewandowski. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. You're going to have that floated around, but um, I think Oliver Kahn was quite clear about yeah. that, um, that they just can't afford that package and yeah. they don't want to afford that package. And I think they're right not to do it. Um, mm. But I think, too, what you're seeing a little bit right now with all this posturing, um, I think in the end of the day, Haaland will end up at Madrid, mm. whether it's next summer or the summer after that is really the real question here. But I think what you also see is by having making all this noise and saying, oh, yeah, we're like shopping around. We need to find a solution and all that kind of stuff. But he also likes it in Dortmund. That's like that's telling Dortmund, it's like, oh, if you like maybe double his salary, then we can think about maybe doing another year here. Mm. Absolutely. That's how I'm reading it. Yeah, and that's how I read it too. That's There's been reports, there's been suggestions that um, – you know, Dortmund may be able to convince him to stay by offering him a lot more money. Vatska came out a few weeks ago saying that they will sit down with Raiola and talk about things. And he basically suggested that they will consider, they will push Haaland and Raiola to drop the release cause, um, which would be interesting because it would basically require a degree of loyalty, a degree of trust mm-hmm. between all parties. And and, I th- and to be honest with you, I think I think that's there. You know, I, I know Raiola kind of come, is, is often portrayed as this kind of, you know, super agent who is often a pest to clubs, but at the end of the day, he usually does what his players want to do. And if Haaland and people is ha- like him, everyone knows him personally. I haven't met him yet personally. That's yeah. definitely on my bucket list. Uh, so if you listen to this, Mino, um, you can reach me <laughs> through various social media contacts. But um, I spoke to some people about Mino this week um, who know him personally quite well, and they were all said positive things. Mm. You know, yeah. that you have to separate the media personality to the person he is in real life that you, at the end of the day, he just wants the best for his client. And um, yeah, the, the feedback that you get from or about him is quite positive, uh, which I think was really interesting. Um, we get this picture, of course, from him being this kind of almost loan shark kind of character, right? Um, which is apparently just not true. And um, I think he does, he, he says things because then he knows they will have an impact. Mm. He plays that card very well. And so I think with anything that's coming out at the moment, I find that quite interesting that, you know, those, that that's what it is, right? Like it could be all just negotiations and Rio Raiola does, negotiate in public um i think we know that quite well as well yeah so it's exactly. all, all all very interesting you know i again I, my gut feeling not gut feeling but the indications i've been getting is that Haaland eventually will end up at real madrid but it could be delayed by a year and that yeah. i think we'll see um what we do know though is that adiemi um seems to have made his decision to go to dortmund and um 
we were saying a few weeks ago when are Dortmund going to sign some forward at some defenders to actually help all these forwards <laughs> not to concede X amount of goals. It looks like Zakaria is going that direction as well. Um, not a defender, I know, but someone that can definitely give you stability in midfield. And uh, increasingly reports are suggesting that Schlotterbeck is from Freiburg to Dortmund as well. Yeah. Um, that should probably do it in terms of defense, right? Yeah, if they could pick up Schlotterbeck and Zakaria potentially in January... Um, and then obviously Adeyemi in the summer. Then that, that's 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 some fantastic. And keep and, and keep Haaland. Although we were saying before we recorded, I have no idea how you fit Haaland, Malin, and Adeyemi into the same team with Marco Royce. But that's 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 a Marco Rosa problem. Uh, and as we said oh, earlier in the podcast, is. yeah, well, we'll find out if he can prove that or not. But, yeah, it'll be interested to see what happens in January. It'll be a very important month for for Dortmund and end up for a number of reasons. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting too. Look, I wanted to talk about this maybe to end the show, and we can probably expand on it next week when when we review the Hinrunde. Um, Dortmund and Bayern are buff and beyond everyone else. Then you have this this group of teams. Um, shall we call them the Leverkusens of this world? You know. 28, 27, 26, 24, 24, 24. That's from Leverkusen to Union. In that pack, you have Hoffenheim, Freiburg, Mainz, uh, Frankfurt, and, and of course Union. Then Leipzig sit right behind that. And even though Leipzig did drop points under this Tedesco, and we should talk about Tedesco next week as well. Um, mm. I think when we have a bit of a bigger picture, I have some thoughts. Plan to talk about it today, but we're kind of running low on time. Um, the gap is quite big between that group and the Champions League and it's going to make it for an interesting Champions League race don't get me wrong I think that you know um, Leverkusen, Leipzig and Frankfurt are probably the ones to watch in that and Hoffenheim as well because Hoffenheim just don't want to go away then you have a group of teams that probably don't have to worry about relegation too much because Bielefeld and Fürth uh, all the way down there Hertha, Stuttgart and maybe even Gladbach have to worry about relegation playoff um, so do Augsburg but we have to talk about those two teams in the bottom Fürth and Bielefeld and this is this is something that I've seen with the Bundesliga as a product I mean Fürth have conceded 49 goals already Stefan they're on pace to maybe concede 100 goals this year and at what point do we say it's great that the Bundesliga 2 is so even and balanced and that everyone can get promoted but at what point do we say like this is great that like the Darmstadt of this world go up, but the Bundesliga cannot afford the Darmstadt of this world to go up. Like we need Schalke, Bremen, and Hamburg back desperately, don't we? We need them back at their very best. Uh, I think the Schalke that we saw last season isn't doing the Bundesliga any favors. But you know, I think we might begin to a point where we maybe have to start considering if this is a systemic problem in the Bundesliga. And what I mean by yeah. that is you look at that league table and look, of course, form is such a temporary fleeting thing and it can be down to a million little factors. But if you kind of look at the kind of growing and trends within German football, you're seeing a lot of big clubs struggling to perform. You see a lot of big clubs struggling to 
not only overachieve and challenge Bayern Munich and Dortmund, but they're struggling to simply do what they're supposed to be doing. They're struggling to finish where they're supposed to finish. We've obviously seen it with Werder Bremen. We've seen it with Hamburg. Yeah. We've seen it with Schalke. You can go further back, maybe like a Dusseldorf or whoever else. Um, but you look at that. You look at that league table as it is right now, uh, a week away from the winter break, and you have Gladbach, you have Stuttgart, and you have Hertha Berlin. Um, a few points from the relegation playoff spot. Um, not far off them is obviously RB Leipzig as well. Uh, Frankfurt, I know, now pushed up towards the top six, but they were they were sitting around there for a couple of weeks as well. And it's really interesting as to why what why all these why all of these clubs are struggling to to to, to simply function at the moment, and it'd be really interesting to see how things play out because I do wonder and this kind of goes back to what we hinted at on as you said I tweeted about this tonight actually so this may this this point may be mute um, by the time people listen to this if if Gladbach have sacked um, their head coach but. If Gladbach are perhaps a good indication of where a lot of clubs are behind the scenes, and what I mean by that is Max Herbel has came out and he's been quite open in terms of contract negotiations with Matthias Ginter and Dennis Zakaria, and he simply said, look, these guys are key players for us. We, we They're really important. We love having them at the club, but coronavirus has meant that we simply cannot afford to pay them what, what they earn right now in their next contract. Not even we can't afford to give them a pay rise, He's basically said that we've had to go to them and say, if you want to stay at the club, you're going to have to earn less money. And, you know, I, I, I do wonder um, if this is something that we're kind of noticing with a lot of these kind of big clubs, your, your Stuttgart, your Gladbachs, your Schalkers. These clubs that rely so much on fan revenue um, that, that they're simply struggling to... to, 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 to to, to make ends meet. Um, I don't know. I don't mean literally perhaps that they're all running up debts or anything, but they're possibly behind the scenes really panicking here. And, it's, and I don't think it's a coincidence that the, the two teams have actually been very agile and capable of maybe kind of um, negotiating this kind of very difficult situation and are Leverkusen and Hoffenheim who, yeah, I've got, I've got a lot of time for, but they do not rely on on, on, on huge gate receipts to to get by. And Leipzig so. possibly too, actually. Yeah, you know. yeah exactly. Um, um, they of course shot themselves in the foot by um, appointing the right coach, right man, but at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Um, so but, it's, yeah. it, it's 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 it, I, I think I think it's something that maybe the Bundesliga maybe has to take stock of. It's maybe something that German football has to have to sit down and talk to, figure out within itself. You know, it's, and this maybe leads back to the the lack of interest in looking beyond Germany for for head coaches and for managers and for coaching solutions. Um, is there is 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 German football been drinking its own Kool Aid too much to use an American expression? Um, yeah. In terms of assuming, because if if you go to if you go to England, you go to America, you go to France, Spain, Italy, the reputation Italy of the book, in particular right now, you have a reputation for investors. Yeah, right. But, yeah, but the Bundesliga has a reputation for being a country that has you know financial uh, control. The t- all the clubs are very well run and they have outstanding coaches. If you look at the Bundesliga table and you look at the way these actual big clubs are running right now, none of those things are true. Mm, 
So I think maybe the German football might have to have a very hard conversation with itself in the future if this trend continues to happen. That's nothing to say against, all due respect to Bochums and your Hoffenheims and your Freiburgs and your Darmstadts, but I'm not not suggesting that we shouldn't let these clubs obviously get promoted. Of course they should, but if there's a systemic issue here that these big clubs are maybe being incompetent, um, it's, it's something that maybe German football has to worry about. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Like, it can't be that uh, Germany's second biggest city and richest city, or one of the richest cities, uh, struggling in Bundesliga 2, or Düsseldorf, which is also um, a very rich city. Um, of course, the first one is Hamburg, right? Düsseldorf is another one. Um, Gelsenkirchen, okay. Structurally, very weak. But Bremen, you know, is another place that should be doing much better. Um that shouldn't be the case. And as you said, like the thing is, like I think what we're getting with, and that's my final point, and I think we should revisit that this next week um, and think some more about it, especially if we review the Hinonde. When you get a team like Fürth and Darmstadt to pro- get promoted in the Bundesliga, th- that is their very best. That's as much as you're going to get, mm. right? That is the pinnacle of success that they can achieve. And I don't mean any disrespect, but that's just how it is. When you get Hamburg, Schalke and Bremen or the Hannovers or Düsseldorfs of this world to get promoted into the Bundesliga, mm. that is them etching on the potential that they could achieve. And I think mm. that is maybe the big difference. And we have to, it's wonderful. I'm I, I, Even Bochum, I think I'm glad that they're back because they are an important club in this league. So it's not even them. And, it's, and I don't want to be too harsh on Bielefeld and Fürth and Augsburg as well. But they do not add much to this league in terms of because they, their main achievement every year is to be in the league. That's it. That's their main achievement. And it's it, that's great. It makes for a great story. But you can't have six, seven clubs in the league whose main achievement is to be in the league. Mm. You know, there is, there is a point where that becomes too much. We need to have the majority of clubs should be in the league because they want to win something. And right now that equilibrium doesn't exist. The ratio isn't right. And um, I find that worrying. And I think I'm agreeing with everything else that you said as well. Um, I think the league and German football in general have to take a hard look in the mirror right now. Look at the Champions League results in particular. And don't just point at the money. That's not it. There is something deep by the foot. And I think maybe next week we should touch on it. But unfortunately, out of time, Stefan. Um, it's been always been a pleasure. And um, we'll be back for another episode before the winter break. And then we'll get our deserved winter break. Can't wait to get some time off. So, yeah, bear with us, guys. One more show until the winter break. Um, until next week, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.